This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And we were sitting here bitching at each other, and we realized we hadn't hit record yet, and we were right. losing great podcast material. We what were, were saying we horrible things to each other, and you guys were missing out on it. It was very funny. Oh, well. <laughs> That's how it always is. We yes. The podcast really goes on all the time. You guys just get to hear the hour that we record. Absolutely. We are back with True Crime TV Club this week, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about ourselves for a bit because that's really why we do this ultimately. It's really all we're ever interested in talking about. Okay, so on that topic, this just ties in perfectly. I did a thing that I often do, okay? And I haven't talked to you about this yet, so this is going to be a surprise. Oh, more surprises. I'm always happy for that. So there are always articles on the internet, usually by way of Psychology Today or other sort of mental health-focused publications. they still have Psychology Today? I think so. I oh think so. I think God. Yeah. So the article usually has a headline that goes like this. How to spot if you're dealing with a narcissist. And I read these articles for one reason. To find out because if you're I'm a narcissist. a narcissist, yes, to find out if I fit the bill. Am I a narcissist? It usually I goes think, from... I think that's asked and answered. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll read it and I'll start identifying with the mythical narcissist. I'm like, that's just a person who's assertive and knows what they want. And you're just being passive aggressive and manipulative and accusing them of being a narcissist. I and you're my ex-boyfriend. What... <laughs> and that's the, that's the little extra. That's the article in the box on the side of the article. <laughs> This is what a narcissist would say in response to this article. <laughs> How to you're know just being if you're passive aggressive and trying to make me feel guilty. <laughs> How to know if you're reading this article because you're a narcissist. That's the article that apparently yeah, I need. Honestly, I think that the opposite would be true, maybe. Maybe a narcissist wouldn't care. Yes, a narcissist would they not They wouldn't read the shit. article in the first place because they wouldn't even be thinking of themselves. Of course, I'm not a narcissist. Don't be ridiculous. I'm fabulous. Everybody wants to hear everything I say and do everything I want them to do. Right. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up a book right now, and I don't want to talk about it too much. It won't be out, I think, for until a year from when we're recording this podcast. Top secret books yes. with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. But I'm the psychopath in it, and I'm in his point of view a lot is somebody who has absolutely no empathy and no perception of other people as as people. He perceives them as things and obstacles or things he can get something out of. And it's been a challenge to write a character who actually sees the world in, in that way. And the fact that I am talented enough to do it means I can't possibly be a narcissist because I'm so brilliant. See how that so works. So have we gotten to the surprise is. yet? <laughs> 
the surprise. You are not surprised that I am self-obsessing by way of the news media. Is that no, is that what you're or saying? the internet? Oh my God, no! no. God, you're my friend who was told by medical professionals to stop <laughs> googling stuff. Doctors said, stop Googling things. And what did we all suddenly do the minute the coronavirus pandemic happened? We all went online and began Googling information. And a lot of it was really terrible and and not borne out. So, you know, those medical professionals were right. Ultimately, we should not Google symptoms because everything bad, everything bad begins with flu-like symptoms. That's how, if you got, if you, uh, transisted to being HIV positive. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. Flu-like symptoms. And I was like, well, that doesn't make me feel better. Like, I have flu-like symptoms for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I'm tired of the world. And that makes me feel like I have flu-like symptoms. The world is tiring. The world gives you flu-like well, symptoms. the fact that you're a hypochondriac <laughs> makes you feel like you have flu-like symptoms pretty much all the time. So, right, there's totally. that. Totally. So, um, none of that has anything to do with what we're going to talk about today on True Crime TV Club, but you wanted no. to remind people of something All about else. fashion. But before we get to fashion, although it sort of ties in, remember a movie you're very excited about is coming to Disney+. Plus. Do you remember what <gasps> it is? Oh, my God. I'm so happy. It is, yes. I think it's coming to theaters, too, and Disney+. Plus. Cruella. Cruella. When I was a kid... I've probably told this story on podcasts before. Um, I lived in a little town called Natchitoches, Louisiana, and not many places were air-conditioned. The kitchen, my parents' room, um, where I I was not allowed to be either of those places during the day. The Safeway, um, where they wouldn't let you just stay and stay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. They didn't have a coffee kiosk yet. Right. There was no, like, they weren't trying to keep you at the Safeway. And the Cane River Movie Theater Mm -hmm. um, was air-conditioned. And if I could raise enough money to buy a theater ticket, I would go in and spend the day in the movie theater watching whatever the feature was over and over again until it was dark and cool, or cooler. It was still Louisiana. Mm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then go back home to my sweltering hot room and lie under my um, ceiling fan until Mm -hmm. I passed out and then began collecting Coke bottles enough to go back and watch the movies. And I would see movies over and over and over and over and over again. And two of my very favorites and that I saw more than most of any others were Mary Poppins with uh, Mm -hmm. the wonderful with Dame Julie Andrews and 101 Dalmatians and... I just fell for Cruella DeVille. I know you're supposed to root for the puppies or the people who with all the puppies or whatever, but I mean Cruella DeVille had it going on. She had that car. She had a French she had a French chateau. She had a big fur coat. She smoked cigarettes with that long holder and mm. talked to people like they were trash and tipped ashes on everybody. She was horrible. I made as an adolescent young man, I made a marionette that looked like uh, uh, 
Cruella DeVille. I made a painting of her. I think that my sister. Where are frame, these things? Where are they? My Where's sister the had the painting framed. It's hanging in this office. I'll have to post it on. We'll have to post a picture of it on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page because that is too good to pass up. Oh my God. I, I've known you for like over 20 years. How did I not know about this? There's an oil painting of her in my office. Um, wow. And now there is a new movie. It's a prequel to the 101 Dalmatians Ofra, um, with Cruella DeVille played by Emma Stone and um, and the the horrible bitch who inspired Cruella DeVille to be a horrible bitch played by Emma Thompson. I don't know what her character's name is because she's new, but Emma Thompson and Emma Stone, how, how could it go wrong? The trailer, if you haven't seen it, oh my God, I just swoon. So the end of the month, it's not out mm-hmm. now, but like I cannot wait. I think it's the 23rd. Um, we'll look it up at the break, but yeah, Cruella DeVille is coming up and yes. So yes. And it's all about fashion. It's all about all about how fashion, fashion inspires competitiveness and evil and, well, you know, general sort of uh, devil wears Prada-ism um, yeah. among all of its participants and followers and yeah um yeah excellent so cruella is coming at the end of this month cruella but is coming that's we that's picked this true crime tv club because this is typically the time of year when something in the world of fashion happens eric shaw quinn do you want to tell us what that is the first monday of every may is the Met Gala, which used to be mm-hmm. the costume ball at uh it's a big fundraiser for the Met and it's been hosted by Anna Wintour of Vogue magazine for a really long time now. I know no idea how long. And it's become sort of this sort of fashion, this iconic fashion event. Some people call it the Academy Awards, except there are no awards of mm. fashion. But people come and show up and there's all of these steps at the mat walking up to the so they come and the red carpet goes up the stairs and they mm-hmm. pick a crazy theme and celebrities come and wear these elaborate, fabulous, spectacular costumes or just very fashionably dressed. And then there's a big party. Um, they did a, a an Ocean's 11 edition. I think it was called Ocean's 8 mm. where they robbed the Met Gala. It's, it's become an iconic sort of event. But because of the pandemic, we haven't had it for this year or last um, they're going to have a makeup version in September. I don't know what that will be. I don't know if it'll be virtual or I think it's going to be an in-person event, mm-hmm. but we'll see. We'll we see what's see. going on in September. I try not to predict anything with this pandemic. Oh, yeah, um, totally. Anyway, so we thought we would choose a fashion-based version of um, True Crime TV Club. Absolutely. Uh, this week. And... Uh, and to kind of also, because it has kind of a, an interesting L.A. connection lately, um, there's, uh, well, go ahead and tell them what we've chosen, Christopher. Oh, I didn't know. I'm surprised by the L.A. connection. Okay, so the way True Crime TV Club works is that it is our job here to serve up the documentary uh, or the hour of television or film that we are going to discuss today in such scathing, steaming detail, you do not need to have watched it. But if you want to watch it, we always like to tell you what it is. So pause the podcast, head over to Discovery Plus or dis- any Discovery ID platform and check out Lady Gucci, the story of Patrizia Reggiani. That's what we're going to talk about today. So what is this L.A. connection of which you well, speak, Well, um, one of our she's a transplant from New York, but one of our local L.A. residents is Lady Gaga. 
Oh. Um, who's been in the news a bunch lately because in the most L.A. story ever, some lunatics, five of them apparently, attacked Lady Gaga's dog walker mm-hmm. and shot him. Looks like he's going to be okay, thank God, and kidnapped her French bulldogs because... They're so valuable, it's worth shooting somebody over, apparently. Oh, my God. Horrible. Um, And the reason they were out with her dog walker, I guess they probably always are, but particularly now, is because she is in Italy filming the biopic about Patrizia Reggiani, Lady Gucci, and this particular case. So there's actually going to be a movie version of this case starring um, Lady Gaga and... uh, Adam that Driver. Adam Driver and uh, Jared Leto. Jared Leto oh. is also in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's playing the older uncle, and his his makeup is astonishing. It's like you won't even recognize it's Amazing. him. Amazing. Okay, and since we established that I'm a narcissist, do you want to know what our connection to all of this is? Okay. The people who called the cops, who heard, who were in their house when the dog walker was attacked— Included Rachel Mason, who was a guest on our show several episodes ago, who is looking into the murder of William Newton, which we talk about regularly and have a bunch of episodes in our library about. She and her husband, Buck Angel, uh, heard, heard the horror show happening out front, called the police and were interviewed on the local news about it. Absolutely. And she's the, also the, uh, the documentarian who produced the documentary film circus of books about her family's bookstore. The Circus of Books here in mm-hmm. uh, kind of a institution here in West Hollywood and in Silver Lake. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, and kind of a free speech sort of institution as well, because it was a gay adult, largely gay, an adult book for bookstore. I think they had straight people porn, too, but it wasn't nearly the, mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Absolutely. And they had our books for like 99 cents because they were like used. <laughs> Or whatever, but it's fine. Whatever sells a book, sells a book. All right. right. We got a lot of true crime to get through here. Um, I'm looking at my notes, and I think they're probably a way too expensive. A lot of crime. <laughs> they're always. So um, we discovered when we sat down to watch this what that we didn't big, know. This is the big surprise factor. It's in Italian, but it's entirely, subtitled. Entirely, entirely in Italian and entirely interviews. Yes. Like, there's no narration. It's just 10,000 interviews with, I I think, pretty much everybody in Milan except anybody named Gucci. Yes. No one named Gucci wanted anything to do with this or her, apparently, anymore. Um, Even there were pictures of her children, who are grown people at this point, um, yes, and they they had like that blurring out of their eyes thing that they do with like little children, <laughs> because they said, "If you show me in this thing, I will come in Italian, in really angry Italian. If you show me in this crazy video, I will come to your house and throw you out the window, you crazy old woman, um, or something along those lines." Because, oh my God, it this was. was this could not have been more unexpected. I it was, was a thing. blown out of the water by well, this was, one. Okay, so let's just, we open in a car, so, right? We're on a driving tour of Milan. and Except Patric- the only yeah. thing we're seeing is her 
we're right. we're on her riding in a car, commenting on stuff all around this beautiful city in Italy that we're not seeing. We're just seeing her <laughs> reacting to stuff out the window. And but it's describe just, her. Describe her. What does she look like? It's now. Oh my it's the God. present. Okay. She looks like um, your nana had a scavulo makeover. Um, <laughs> she's just. She's wearing these big giant glasses and just big giant fabulous hair that's been all teased and combed and dyed and whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's looking as fabulous as she possibly can. She looks like everybody at all of those outdoor um, restaurants at Sunset Plaza. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Okay, so the documentary opens, and Patrizia Reggiani is basically, as we eventually figure out, giving us a driving tour of her old Milan, her old haunts, the places where her parents live. Except she's kind of lying about it, because she's leaving <laughs> out the fact that she was born in poverty and lived in, like, the shitty bad neighborhoods. She's driving around to all these... Her, her mother married well, and so yes. things improved, but... That's not her childhood. Like, so she's showing us a false version of her childhood, which I think is a real tip off about where this documentary is headed because she's kind of hosting it, even though yes. it's a documentary about how she murdered her husband. Right. And here's my, so they, the, the, her lawyer, they cut to her lawyer who tells us straight out that she was charged with organizing a conspiracy to murder her husband, Maurizio Gucci, and she spent 26 years in prison. That's where we're starting. And then we back up and i knew that it was going to get interesting when the first interview subject who wasn't her was listed as a excuse me a former acquaintance (laughs) 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 who's like decked out as well older woman fabulous digs tasteful stylish outfit and um she says i was really the first one to ever notice that she was hanging out she was hanging out with all these young women on the streets of milan and it was very fashionable to just sort of catwalk around the sidewalks then wearing whatever nice outfit you could get your hands on but this acquaintance says i noticed she had two surnames she was um i think she was patrizia i don't know what it was but the rich guy her mother had married had adopted her and what is Reggiani. eventually revealed is that the rich guy and Patrizia seemed to get along better than he got along with her mother or she got along with her mother. She better and her mother than she had a got along with her mother. She just apparently didn't like her mother at all. Even though her mother is probably one of the only people who stood by her, I think she was long gone by the time we got to this or she would have been in the video. Yeah. So uh, we then cut to a fashion journalist named Cinzia Malvini, who basically sets the the, the business scene in who the 1960s. Who is not having it. She, she said, is not having it. Um, she is uh, basically, she tells us that um, Patrizia basically hung out on the street, which apparently is supposed to sound fashionable, but it sounds like... <laughs> 
<laughs> You're looking for business. Really They're making this here. whole case about how the the fashion in Milan, the catwalks in Milan, were the streets of Milan. That's where fashion in Milan really originated, and yeah, so that was where everybody was going out in their mini skirts and looking all sixties. And um, she says that in the 1960s that their designers were not setting the trends. The women walking up and down the sidewalks were. That's right. where the fashion that's trends were coming. the catwalks were, the sidewalks. But the, uh, Italy as a country was experiencing an economic boom during this time and that the fashion industry was increasingly uh, becoming a part of it. And so around this time, one of – and this is the part of the story where I was like, wow, I don't believe a word of this. And it's all coming from Patrizia. A friend sets her up with this guy and says, you got to meet my friend Maurizio Gucci. And she's like, uh, who's Maurizio Gucci? Blah, blah, blah. And at this point, Gucci has been a thing in Milan since like the 1850s. So it's been <laughs> around a while. <laughs> right. So like, what do you mean? Who is uh, Gucci? I know. I remember how provincial Florence was where everything was Ferragamo. Like right. if you could scra scrape an acquaintance with Ferragamo, you could get a seat at a restaurant. And if you couldn't, fuck you. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So he apparently, according to her, showed up to take her to a party and brought a car that was too small for her to ride in, so she had to go with a friend that was in their group, and they all went to this nightclub and this party together, and she's like, this guy is a total loser. Um, how is a car too small for a passenger? Did he have somebody seemed, else in his car? It seemed like there was, like, I, I have kind of a slightly different version of the story. She met him at the party, and then they were going to go to a nightclub, and they brought it. She had arrived at the party in a Porsche, and he came in something smaller than a Porsche. So I guess he was in a Fiat, a Spider, or a something. Vespa, I have no maybe. Idea. <laughs> maybe he was on a Vespa. I have no idea. But I can't imagine that a member of the Gucci family was riding around in a bad car. It was just too small. She wanted something grander. Yeah. Patrizia does not is not suffering from any um sort of uh self esteem sense issues. of self esteem yeah, no. issues any sort of sense of self worth there is not a problem here uh, being a an ex con doesn't seem to have really weighed on her particularly heavily mm -hmm. she's really murdering her husband being convicted of murdering her. none of that seems to have really um uh, chipped away at her sense no. of self and yeah and it was apparently. I, and once again, I don't know if it was true, but the way she tells the story, he is just taken with her right from the start and mm -hmm. wants to go her to go with him to a nightclub, but she won't get in his car because it's not nice enough. But he does ask her out to dinner a few nights later, and when she goes, she says the first night they sit down to dinner together, he says, how would you like to be Mrs. Gucci? And she says, I thought he was crazy, but I kept dating him anyway. And I was like, girl, please, as they say. Right. Nobody believes that. And then she, in her interview, goes on to basically start setting up this idea that she improved his life. He had a broken front tooth, and she got him to fix it. Uh, he needed to buy a Ferrari, so she convinced him that a Ferrari was the car for him. They marry in October of 1972, and tellingly— Against the wishes of his father. Right. Who, who sees not... her as the social climbing gold digger that she absolutely was. And so he does not show up. To the wedding, but Maurizio's uncle supports the marriage, so Aldo. quote unquote, Patrizia makes him an ally, and eventually the uncle brokers a peace between Patrizia and Rodolfo. That's Maurizio's father, the head of the house of Gucci at this time. But <laughs> this was my favorite detail. So he sends them to New York. Yes, he's like, get out of the country. <laughs> get out of 
Italy. You were, uh, get I away from me and I will marriage. support you. Get it away get from out. me. <laughs> yeah, so, it was really supportive. He buys them a loft on uh, off of Fifth Avenue in New York. It's the early 70s now. She is very honest about the fact that she's not a morning person, so she wouldn't wake up before 11 a.m. Um, she would roll out of bed, get do her toilette and her makeup, get in her Bentley with her driver, Jim, and just basically do whatever she wanted all day. So it was a really rough life for Patricia. Patricia. And sure then she, she would throw fabulous parties at their loft yeah. um, every night. They had two daughters who wouldn't be in this documentary. <laughs> That would not be in the So you could just get a sense of how childhood went for them. So we flash to a resort town called Ischia or Ischia. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a it's a place with hot springs. It's 1977. Patrizia meets Giuseppina Arimimu. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. I, f- I literally yeah, failed Pina. in college. Pina is what she's called. And they become best friends. And Pina is interviewed, which is like, oh, this should be interesting. And she is not dressed like she is in the old photos of her. Pina has either no. hooked up with a woman named Pam she's, or she's just decided to she's like She's a hard-looking woman. She's the winner yeah. of the South Florida snake stomping competition. Yes. <laughs> Pina has definitely taken a hard turn over the years. She's not bad, but it's definitely, it's a whole new Pina. Like... I, I believe that it's the same woman from the pictures. Yes. But not because she looks like the same woman from no. the pictures. I don't know why they would lie about it, so I'm taking their word for it. But yeah, she doesn't look anything like the pictures that are presented of her younger self who first met yes. Lady Gucci. And this is where I thought the structure of this almost a little bit over an hour of television got a little, shall we say, schizophrenic. Oh, um, my God, <laughs> went over the falls in a barrel. I'm telling you, there was like, it was like, I compared it to, it was like reading a story in the Bible. Like, <laughs> the Bible is has no editors, apparently. That's the hallmark of the Bible. So if there are five different versions of the story, they just put them all in there. Like, yeah. it was one of the things I ran into in writing uh, Prince's Psalm was trying to include all all of the different versions of basically the same story mm-hmm. and make it flow like it was a regular story. They would tell you one thing and then they will tell it to you in this, in the Lady Gucci story. They will tell you an element and then they'll tell it to you five different ways. Like, how long was she in prison? 16 years, 17 years, 26 years, mm-hmm. and 20 years. That's yes. what they said <laughs> during the course of this of this one one hour show. I have no idea how long she was in there. I'm thinking it has to be about 16 years or she would still be in prison, but your guess is as good as mine. Did he right. leave or did he walk out here or did he walk out there? Or did he walk out? who knows? Well, no, the other but he one just is... kept or did she throw him out? Like no, it just... and it and the one that drove me crazy was did they get divorced or didn't they get divorced? We're just going to have never. to muddle through this, but they're never yeah. clear. Okay, so I'm going to – and then they started to get – so we go to Copenhagen in 1983 and we do this whole thing about how she convinced him to buy this sailing yacht, which is not going to be as important in this story as they make it out but to be. But it's cursed. But it's cursed, and it's cursed by the wives of the former rich Italian men who owned it, who didn't treat them properly. Apparently, I thought it was was it was it Onassis who was the owner? It was uh, I didn't some, recognize either of the okay. names. I don't think it was Onassis. They rattled them off as like I'm supposed to know. I don't live in Italy. Like I don't know who these people are. Yeah, um, it was rich shipping magnets. You got the impression. <laughs> 
So, and then the actual story starts to creep in. Or the, basically, the whole point of the yacht thing is that she thought it was going to be her yacht, and Maurizio had different ideas and used the yacht to routinely get away from her as their Which marriage Which tends regressed. to start to create a picture of the the marriage that she doesn't is not necessarily telling you, but apparently he went and started living on the yacht. Yeah. <clears throat> so in the 1980s, the Gucci family are in their third generation when Rodolfo Maurizio's father dies and his shares pass to his son. The only person that they interview about this transition is Patrizia, and who is maybe the most biased participant in this entire thing, because basically oh what's God. revealed is she wanted a controlling stake in the company, and Gucci would not allow women to take managerial positions. Now, that is used to dismiss whether or not Patrizia would have been remotely qualified to hold this position at all. But Patrizia clearly believes that she is the guiding light that was leading Gucci to success and into a new um, era. Yeah. and what Nobody she said, else apparently believed that, but and Patrizia she did. She describes her dead husband, her dead murdered husband, as a total incompetent. And her direct, her direct quote is, when Maurizio got obsessed with something, it failed. <laughs> like his like marriage. you? To like, her. Right. Um, yes. Apparently. Um, so, but Aldo, the uncle, was kind. She portrays him as being right. a fan of hers somehow. Right. And, and she Aldo. this deal. Uh, and. Uh, um, no, well, no, that's a, diff a different uncle. Paolo decides he wants out of the business. And so he secretly sells oh, his shares right. to Maurizio. And that gives him a controlling stake over Uncle Aldo, who is not excited about this. Changes the locks and locks him out of the company. And, and according to Patrizia, Aldo says to her, you and I could have been the rebirth of this company. Now, this is what's, what's revealed next is no, widely known, which was the company was in serious trouble. This is the company that eventually passes to a Bahraini investment corporation and then is much later rescued by Tom Ford in the eyes of many and turned into the brand that it yeah. is today. The Gucci that we know now has very little to do with the Gucci that we're hearing about in this story. And the accusations against it were that it was too heavily licensed, that Maurizio didn't know how to get out from all these licensing agreements, that the brand was watered down and nobody really knew what it meant and rather than deal with the problems according it's to like patrizia the pierre cardin of italy <laughs> exactly so rather than deal with any of these problems Maurizio gets on his sailing yacht packs his bags doesn't tell patrizia when he's coming back and he decides to just abandon it all when he does return from this sailing excursion around the world he allegedly tells her he wants a divorce, but there's no consensus in this documentary about when they got divorced or I, they did <laughs> if not they get got divorced. divorced. I don't think they ever did get divorced because of the way she anyway, we'll get to that. But we'll yeah, get to that. so this so like and you have the impression, though, at this point that he's packed his bags and left her. Mm -hmm. And then he's back and then right. he leaves her again and then he's back and then she throws him out and then he's back. And you're never clear when he actually left right. until what's her name shows up. He gets a girlfriend, Paola Franchi. really is it for Patrizia. She is not the, the fact that he's stormed out or been thrown out or left or living on the yacht or hasn't been there for a while. That doesn't seem to bug her as much. But when he gets Paola, oh, mm -hmm. my God, or Paola or 
Paola, I think. Yeah, because if he if he didn't ask for a divorce, they said he asked again for a divorce. And this means you're now going to be replaced and she's going to lose the Gucci name, which she really yes. didn't want to lose. So apparently she is also diagnosed with a benign brain tumor during this time. And she is hospitalized. And she claims Maurizio came to the clinic but wouldn't go inside to see her. And that was, you know, for her, that was just the limit. There are a lot of limits for Patrizzi in this when he storms she out. She likes that making big pronouncements yeah. and, like, stopping in the middle of a sentence and going, eh. Yeah. Like, you know, like your Nana, like your Italian right. Nana might yeah. in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, dismissed. So, so around this time, she goes around asking people, if anyone would be, quote, brave enough to kill her husband. Just apparently wherever socially she goes, she just brings it up. And how about you? Would you be brave enough? You're the butcher. Would you be brave enough to kill my husband for money? I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. March 27th, 1995, wouldn't you know it, Maurizio is shot and killed by a man using a silencer and bullets that can only be bought in Austria, Switzerland, and Germany. Patrizia claims she hears this from their nanny, who has seen the story on TV. and then she While claims, she's in Switzerland. Right. She claims... Where the bullets came from. Pina. <laughs> remember her best friend, Pina? Allegedly calls and says, see what a nice present I gave you? Pay up or one down, two to go. Pina says she never said this. <laughs> and this is but when- But that's the, what she says, that she's threatening to kill her children if right. she doesn't pay her. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's actually happening, what we know happens, is that on the day of the funeral, on the day of the funeral, Patrizia goes up to Maurizio's girlfriend, Paola, and asks her to leave the flat she has been living Throws in with Maurizio. Throws her out on the street the and, day of the funeral. And this is where- Which is why I say they never got divorced. Yes. Because she was in charge now of she the community property all passed right. to her, and she began to- Paola didn't have a leg to stand on legally. But her lawyer is going to later say, I just, I can't wait on this anymore. I have to say, her lawyer is later going to say that he thinks she would never be involved in a murder plot against her husband because a term of the divorce settlement was that she was getting a million Swiss francs a year. And I'm like, how was there, the divorce hadn't happened yet. How was she getting a million Swiss francs a year? Well, that was if she got divorced. She would never have killed him to prevent the divorce. I will say this about that. At this point... The story just completely goes to shit because to they shit. begin telling the stories, four or five different versions of the story, all at the same time. The police get involved and they are even more confusing than Patrizia. Well, like let me, let, the let's, investigator. 
Let's focus in on what the police guy says, because it is the first like, oh, God, someone who is not a lunatic or a biased criminal talking about uh, what happened. Okay. I don't want to get carried away. <laughs> Felipe, we get to the Spanish speaking guy version of the, exp- uh, the, the investigation. I was like, what are you doing? talking about okay i'm gonna do a peek behind the curtain here at tdps here i do i'm the ocd writer note taker guy and so taking notes on something that's in subtitled and in a foreign language is really hard because your eyes can't leave the screen and then when you add in that it's discontorted and badly structured it was and like confusing I'm, and it took me four lie. hours to put and the a notes pack together. of lies yes yeah. it was i you bless your heart this must okay. have been impossible Filippo Nini, the former head of the Milanese police, tells tells us this story. Out of the blue, it's years after the murder. There's never been an arrest. People claim that they focused on Maurizio's business, male business partners and couldn't entertain the fact that women were involved in this crime, which sounds like bullshit. So this is Filippo Nini's story. Or Italian police investigation. See also Amanda Knox. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's asking around, what's up with the Gucci case? Everyone's saying, oh, we couldn't solve it, whatever. So he claims he gets a call from an informant, a man named Gabriel Carpanese, who claims he's living in a small hotel with his wife and running out of money. So he told the nephew of the hotel's owner a lie about how he was in a Colombian gang. There's no explanation for why he thought this lie would help him not run out of money or make money. None. It the just nephew, suddenly comes up and it become, begins to involve people speaking Spanish. For some reason, that's significant. I don't know why. The nephew responds by saying, oh, yeah, well, I was involved in the Gucci murder and should have made way more money off it than I did. What? Like the name because of this nephew is Ivano Savioni. We're going to meet his lawyer who doesn't really clarify anything, but she gives no. an interview. Um. Savioni says, yeah, I have a friend named Pina, and she asked me to kill Gucci on Patrizia's behalf. He says, my wife Pina knew, um, my wife knew Pina because they were both from Naples, and uh, Pina came to me to commit the murder because she thought I was a seasoned criminal, when the truth was he had only bounced a check. This is all Filippo Nini telling us this story, the, the, yes. the Milanese police officer. Uh, so he went to some real criminals, and there it's like the chain of pathetic losers gets worse and worse until it gets and to more a guy. and more confusing. The guy that they ultimately find to commit the murder is a bricklayer. Yeah, that's how he's described. He is a bricklayer named Benedito Sorallo. And spoiler alert: uh, Maurizio was not killed with a brick. <laughs> It was not. It's like, what are you? What is this story? Okay. So, and then they cut to Patrizia, who's being interviewed and not also not clarifying any of these facts, but she calls them a cartoon crew, which is the most accurate thing she said in the whole documentary. Yes. That really did seem to describe them all. It was really, and they, and she claims that she's being blackmailed by them, that she didn't contract them to do mm-hmm. this, that they were blackmailing her after the fact, even though she paid them in advance to blackmail her. And, and but, but she claims at one point, and they glance past it and get into contradictory stuff, that the money she gave Pina was supposed to be a down payment in Pina's gown business, which is mentioned only once and never again. Right. Like, okay. And so 
They're claiming that they were just going to get the money from her, the cartoon crew, but they were never actually going to commit the murder. They were just going to get her to keep- It was just a scam. Nobody was supposed to actually kill her. That's why they hired a bricklayer to do the murder. And who knew that he would be able to get his hands on a gun? Yeah. Um, So uh, they claim that Patrizia eventually said, if I'm going to keep giving you this money, you're actually going to have to kill Maurizio. And so- that's what. That's why they. That's why eventually he got murdered. I think is that where it went. At this point, ten it people are being interviewed of, at once. It becomes so confusing because the other thing that happens is when the murder happened in the course of the investigation starts to come back and forth. Like he's right. murdered, and then we go before the murder and after the murder and later and years later and recently it's, and right around there. Yeah. And it's like what. Are you talking about? It's never. If you're looking for clarity, this is not the true crime show for this you. This is not it. But let's. If you're looking to see Patrizia just right. tell you whatever she feels like telling you, this is going to be it. Let's wrap up what the police actually did because this part is almost as crazy. And I don't. There is a part of it I just do not believe. Okay. Almost. Yeah. The, the they have an agent who speaks what they call Colombian Spanish. Go undercover with their informant. The agent goes to the hotel where this conversation about the Gucci murder happened. He meets Savioni and pretends to be willing to blackmail Patrizia on their behalf. There's no explanation of how he sets this up. What he's promising them why he would volunteer to do this. But Savioni is apparently so thrilled with this offer, he says, here, take my car and take this great South American guy out to dinner. So he does. The informant takes the guy out to dinner and the, and the, the undercover agent, and the undercover agent slips a bug in the car. And then Savioni takes the car to go meet with Pina and say, we're finally going to get the rest of the money from Patrizia that she never paid us for this murder. We're going to blackmail her out of it. Let's talk about how to divide it up. And the police apparently have this conversation on tape and the judge decides it's enough to prosecute all of them. And so it ends up in a courtroom. And so they finally arrest Patrizia, who apparently acts like, you know, she stopped by the court on the way to lunch during the course of the trial. (laughs) And when they go to arrest her, she puts on her fur coat and all her jewels and they say, you know, you really don't need those. And she says, they go where I go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, all of these people, as you pointed out earlier, they give like nine different uh, times for the sentences they're eventually met with. Um, all of these people, but are they're all guilty. out now. Yeah, they're all out now. The best part of this story, which I need oh, more I love detail this. On, this is I love this part of the story. Patrizia in prison. She's had a great. It's time. like yeah. it's like she was on at a, a resort in Capri, apparently at the prison. Yeah, she did whatever she wanted to. the The friend who came in to the former acquaintance was recruited to go visit her in prison to see how things were going because right. no, because lawyers couldn't go in prison or some really strange thing like that. And apparently Patricia was like sunbathing. She had her mm-hmm. surgeon come in, got her face lifted. She <laughs> uh, had her hairdresser come in, did her hair. She said they were talking about, Pina was talking about how they would, she never did anything for the other prisoners. So they would steal food out of her refrigerator. And I was like, steal food out of her refrigerator. What kind of prison is this? Apparently she had a suite at the prison. She had a pet ferret that she, 
you know, was with her all the time. And apparently she and Pina, did I understand this correctly, were in the same prison. And the prison divided up like Team Patrizia, Team Pina. You were either friends with one or the other. You couldn't be friends with both. And there was like a luxury part of the prison where she was and she just did whatever she wanted to and went where she wanted to. And there were things that she could have done, like where volunteer work or something where she actually could have gotten mm-hmm. out of prison and she wouldn't do them. She yeah. just stayed in the prison the whole time for the sentence. She didn't do anything to shorten her sentence. She wasn't interested and said she had a fabulous and very restful time. Yeah. She said the best part about it was that she didn't have to deal with her mother. Her mother, she, who was at her yes. trial every day of the uh-huh. trial, her daughters and her mother were there sitting in the front for moral support. And yet the person who she trashes and throws under the bus every time she gets the chance is her mother. It's time now for we should name this segment here at Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. The story Eric heard. There's the story we were given, and then there's the story Eric hears, which I think is often far more accurate. What the fuck really happened here? Forgive my profanity. You know, like, was this woman, should she have taken over Gucci? Was she wronged? Or was her husband, you know? Well, I think in this particular case, a lot of the story that Eric heard came out during... Usually, I keep my powder dry until we've gotten to the end of the conclusion of the story because there is some legitimacy to the story. But I kind of sort of weighed in right as we went along. Yeah. She was a social climbing gold digger who managed to sink her claws into this guy. that She used him for all he was worth. Um, then she thought it was going to vault her up in the fashion world once his father died, who hated her guts and didn't want her to marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that went as long, far as it went, as long as he could stand it. And then he went and lived on a yacht to get the hell away from her and inherited the company and uh, got rid of her as soon as he could, left as soon as he could. And she got her friends to, you know, she got Agrippina to... Uh, to kill her, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then wanted to act like, oh no, it was nothing to do with me. I just mm-hmm. all these other people who did in no way benefited by his death mm-hmm. in the way that I did um, mm-hmm. were the ones who wanted him dead, and that it was just a blackmail scheme. They tried to blackmail me. Yeah, the thing that really is the the telling thing is that you don't pay in advance for blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> She gave the money before the murder happened, which she was being blackmailed for. Nobody pays in advance for blackmail. Um, (laughs) So I really feel like her story falls apart with the advance payment. People, you have to pay in advance for a murder because otherwise, after they've killed him, you just say, oh, I had nothing to do with that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you really do. But like for blackmail, not so much. It's really not very effective way to blackmail people is to tell him you're going to kill his husband and um, and tell everybody that she did it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a good form of blackmail. I, I guess it's probably been tried, but I didn't really believe that part of the story. I also felt like because the entire Gucci family was, com- and the, rag- uh, what was the other last name? I can't even remember. Regitoni uh, family. Reggiani. Completely. Reggiani were completely absent from this story. Like Mm -hmm. no member of either of those families appears in this story. I felt like Agrippina was coming in and telling the story she was telling because they were actually still friends. Mm. Because why would she be in this if she wasn't? 
mm. because nobody nobody was in it on who was on um, Patrizia's side. There was nobody. Patrizia's, by the way, Patrizia is now living in a fabulous home with all of the properties she inherited from the Regionis, and she's manages her properties and goes to lunch and drives around in that big car and dresses like a million dollars and has pets and you know this very glamorous yeah. wonderful sort of retired life in this palace in Milan and mm-hmm. uh yeah she's come out of this pretty well um mm-hmm. so yeah i think this is a woman who uh got fed up with her husband and had him killed like yeah. it was it was very much on the surface i think the real story here is the insanity and the drama of the people in the story and not the story itself. It's pretty straightforward. Right. What do you think this, what do you think this movie is going to be? Like, I don't know anything about this lady. I think it's going to be about these crazy people. I think it's going to be the moonstruck of murder movies. You know what I mean? Like these people are crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize that until I saw this, uh, this special, but I don't know how you make this into anything like she is not a sympathetic character. No. And there is no way to paint her as a sympathetic character. And so you have to, she has to be this lunatic who has her husband murdered. Um, And uh, I think that's going to be what the movie is. She's some crazy lunatic who has her husband killed and then, you know, is the center of this sort of scandal. One of the things that happened during the course of this was they sold Gucci. Like, mm-hmm. this family and these people have nothing to do with what we know as Gucci anymore. None. So yeah, there's no. very little, which is, I was, part of the reason we picked it was because of Gucci and because of the um, the Met Gala. So it didn't turn out to have much to do with fashion. Also, so much of what they showed as footage was clearly stock footage and stuff they had bought from archival houses. I don't even know if we saw any Gucci fashions from that period. They showed runways and New York shots, but I don't know if we were actually seeing Gucci I'm not clothes. even sure if we saw the exterior of a Gucci shop. Like, no. yeah. they may have been enjoined from showing that as well. Like, mm-hmm. no member of the family, no part of the business, none of the fashions, none of anything that had anything to do with the story. So if nothing else... The the movie will surely have gotten those rights and will mm-hmm. show those things. But I think it is of a period. It's that sort of 60s chic, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think there'll be some fun, you know, going through all of that, going through the fashionable side of who they and what they were, because we didn't see a lot of that with this. There were the same five pictures of the two of them together. Like, I thought if they showed that shot of her cutting the wedding cake with him standing there, mm-hmm. but that may be the only picture she has of him. Right. I, I don't know. Like, it was a very um, abridged story. Let's go with that. And it was in Italian. And if you didn't like one version, wait five minutes and there'll be another version. Because they just kept telling new versions of the story. It was the most confusing. One of the most confusing things. It was I don't exhausting. even know how you took notes. I, I, I was cannot an, imagine. It took me hours. It took me, it took an entire night because it was, yeah. I would the, like the combination black of the out. confusion and the, and the not being able to take my eyes off the screen, you know? Right. Yeah, it was, the fact yeah. it was in Italian. I kept having to rewind it because I would like black out from right. the story. And it would be like, what happened? No, wait, no, what? Yeah, absolutely. The other th- the other phenomenon that I really loved, and this is something I've seen them make hay out of in comic movies, um, 
someone would come on screen and they would say, and then and then the, the subtitle would say, so she disputes this fact. <laughs> or, right. and then they all went to dinner. And somebody would come in and talk for five minutes, and then they would say, and she got put in this prison. And My, it would be like, I, I th- know. I don't think that's what they said. I but think they said more than that. a common thing. My aunt's good friend, who was a Spanish speaker, we went on a cruise, the three of us together, and we were riding around as Spanish-speaking countries, and she would have this long conversation. We would say, Lynn, will you ask the cab driver what that is? And they would go on for like 20 minutes, and she would turn to us and say, he says it's a hotel. <laughs> like no you had 20 minutes no that isn't what he said that is not <laughs> what they said like tell me what they said so there's that phenomenon i thought that was kind of but it made it sort of you really have to hang with it and and even then you're not really gonna like i don't actually fully understand this story yet. So it'll be interesting to see the movie and i've seen this show and I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did see that there was one on YouTube, I think on the Real Stories YouTube channel, which we have done a, a documentary from before that's in English. Uh, maybe I will watch it or you will watch it just to see if it sheds more light on the story. I have no idea. I may wait for the Lady Gaga movie. Uh, yeah. You know, like, I feel like I have pretty much, like, as I said, I think this is a simpler story than it would appear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Social climbing woman marries famous man. Um, he they get sick of fed up with each other after having had a great time to partying together for a while. Uh, he sells the company. He's going to and dumps her and she isn't having it. So she has him killed and mm-hmm. goes to prison for it. And then later she gets out the end. Yeah, totally. That's the story. That's there's That's the not story. more to this story than that. Like, OK. Other people were involved, maybe. I mean, she hired people to kill him. Like, that seems to be what she got, certainly what she got convicted of. Totally. All right, next week, we are heading (laughs) I can't talk about this crazy bitch anymore. Christopher has had it. I'm done. Christopher, are you going to watch the YouTube, or are you waiting for Lady Gaga? No, I'm going to let this one sit for a while. This is, I had enough of Lady Gucci. Um, Next week, we're heading into the dark and scary woods of Mendocino County in Northern California to find out if Bigfoot is guilty of murder. (laughs) I Uh, just have to know. Think of it as a Memorial Day weekend celebration. Absolutely. Think of it as a supersized true crime TV club. We call it Christopher and Eric's True Crime Special Edition. And in it, we deliver a multi-episode series in one episode of our podcast. And next week we're bringing you all three episodes of the Hulu original documentary series, Sasquatch. But it is, that's the, I've seen the trailer and it's like, did Sasquatch kill these three guys? So it's a Sasquatch true crime TV club murder mystery. I mean, you can't, how could we not cover this? And it's a holiday weekend, or it'll premiere on a holiday weekend. Yeah, so. and everybody knows Memorial Day is big in the Sasquatch community. Absolutely. It's huge. It's a Sasquatch holiday. It's a Sasquatch. Sasquatches take time off from bluff-charging people and throwing rocks at cars on Memorial Day every weekend That's throughout right. the Pacific Northwest. They do, they do, to, they do. Uh, to, yes, to watch uh, Hulu. <laughs> Absolutely. And guess what? It's not subtitled, although... There's a surprise there, which we'll reveal when we get to it in our next episode. (laughs) I don't want to ruin it yet. (laughs) Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. 
And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.